Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. Welcome, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors. We're going to jump in. So we are in a small series on forgiveness. Normally at our church, we like to preach through books of the Bible, uh, kind of step by step. We just got done with Colossians. Uh, and sometimes we do little series. This would be one of those where we look at reality of, of what it means to live the Christian life, and we spend a few weeks on it. So we're in this mini-series on forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is way more complicated than we'd like to give her credit, isn't it? Just to think about forgiveness and all the complexities that come with this. Here's the reality. We are relational creatures, and every single relationship will break down at some point. Every single one. Every friendship, every marriage, every dating relationship, every boss, coworker relationship, every relationship that you will engage in at some level will have problems or conflict. And if we don't know or are aware of how do we begin to engage that conflict, how do we engage when, when things break down, how do we engage forgiveness, we will not have deep, meaningful relationships. We will have distant relationships. But when First Peter talks about loving one another deeply from the heart, in order to truly love, we must engage forgiveness. Every single relationship you are in, will require you, if you truly want to love, will require you to engage forgiveness. To be human is to engage forgiveness. A writer who I'll quote a couple times today, a writer Anne Lamont said this, Earth is forgiveness school. I love that. To live on this earth, to, to breathe air, to be in relationship with people is to engage forgiveness. And this is why forgiveness is so complicated. Like, there are different types of forgiveness. There there are small matters that people do that hurt us. You know, passive-aggressive comments, something that a co-worker says, something with your spouse that just like, oh, that angered me, and it needs to be engaged in forgiveness. There's small things. Yesterday, Emily and I are driving in the car, and about a month prior, um, I've, I've been looking for a few papers that I put somewhere and I couldn't find them. If you know me, every once in a while, I put things and I can't find them. Like a couple times a year, that happens to me. Um, and so about a month ago, I was looking for these papers at the house and I could not find them. I'm, look, I'm tearing things apart trying to find them. And I'm like, Emily, have you seen these papers? I can't find them. She's like, no, I haven't seen them. I'm like, oh, I so the past month, about two or three times a week, it's just like this goes to my head. and like, where did I put those? And it's eating me alive. And so yesterday we're driving in the car, and, I was, and that thought came. I was like, Emily, I cannot find these papers. And she's like, oh, I think I saw them um, in the basket. In, yeah, I think I saw them. I know where they are. And in that moment, there was a rage that built inside of me. And the look that I gave her communicated that rage. And it communicated, how dare you know where these things I've been li- Don't you know how much? To which she picked up on that rage and which she said, oh, that's my fault? <laughs> Yesterday, I got to practice this sermon on what does it look like to engage 
forgiveness for both of us in small matters. And there are big matters. All of us have stories of big hurt, of betrayal, of being powerlessness, of experiencing powerlessness, of being bullied, a friendship, a relationship, a marriage that just fell apart. And that's surely different than my thought that Emily's should have told me she found my papers. Fair? Two different things. But no matter what, forgiveness must be engaged. And in the past couple of years, I've been just learning a lot about human relationships and how to grow in that. And, and before this, I would have said, like, I'm good at forgiveness. Like, I, I legitimately don't hold grudges very much. And, like, I, I don't, people that have wronged me in the past, I don't tend to talk about them and, like, fire back things. I, I'm good at forgiveness. But in reality, I'm not. Because here is my operation of forgiveness. Someone hurts me, especially in a deeper hurt, and here's my go-to. Distance. Anyone else? Just like this. Is that forgiveness? No, it, it's, it's not. It, it's just detaching. Or many of you, to, to engage what you've thought is forgiveness is just pretend it doesn't happen. Well, that's not forgiveness. Uh, the phrase, well, forgive and forget, may be the worst phrase used in Christianity. True forgiveness, it's messy. It's difficult. Last week, we jumped in this topic, forgiveness. And if you didn't listen to last week's, go back and watch the video or listen to the podcast. Here is what we said last week. A heart to forgive, meaning for me to have a heart that desires to engage forgiveness. A heart to forgive is the result of a heart that's received forgiveness. Meaning, I will never engage forgiveness with other people if I do not realize the forgiveness I have received from God. That here is the reality. I owe a debt to God because of my sin. That I have wronged him. I have turned my back on him. I have betrayed him. I owe a debt that I could not pay. To pay that debt back requires my life. And God, through the work of Jesus, canceled my debt. Canceled it. So much that he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Your debt has been canceled, and God is now committed to our good. And here's the reality. He will never ask you to forgive a debt that is bigger than the one that you owe him. Can I say that again? God will never ask you to forgive a debt that is larger than the debt that you owe God. That is the mindset we must be in, that in or I will never forgive. To engage forgiveness comes from a heart that realized I have been forgiven. Um, forgiveness, we said last week, is, is two things. It's canceling a debt and doing good. Canceling a debt means that I cannot use any longer your hurt of me to justify my hurt of you now. Meaning, I, 
To cancel a debt means, yes, you've hurt me, but that does not give me a right now to belittle you, to talk about you. Your debt does not give me power to now do something back to you. That's canceling a debt. And then doing good is I'm going to pursue your good. Now, next week we'll talk about how do we actually have conversations with forgiveness. That's where we'll go, we'll go next week because we, we got to know this. Forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation. It doesn't always mean the relationship is back to how it was before the hurt happened. We'll get into that next week. So forgiveness, if we're going to be people that love, must be something we're engaging. Forgiveness is canceling a debt and doing good. And believers, if you, if you are a believer in Christ, which means you have put your, uh, Jesus as your authority, if you recognized him as your authority, which means the Bible is your authority, it's his revealed word, if that's you, forgiveness is not optional. It's a command. Colossians 3, we just read Colossians as a church and worked through it. 3.12, put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Do you hear that? Forgive one another. How? As the Lord has forgiven you. So there's that, like you won't have a heart to forgive unless he's received forgiveness. Forgive one another as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also should forgive one another. No, no, no. So you also must forgive one another. Forgiveness for believers is not optional. Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, these are the words of Jesus, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespass. Hard words? No one else? I feel it. Hard, hard words of, of Jesus. As believers, forgiveness is not optional, it's commanded. Which brings this question that all of us, fundamentally all of us have to wrestle with this one question. Do I believe God is good? Every single one of us has to wrestle with that question. Do I believe God is good? And if he's good, his commands, if you will, his rules, his, his way to live is for my good. Uh, parents, do you have any rules on your kids? Uh, come on, parents, we're here? Yeah, do you have rules for your kids? Yeah, are those rules because you care for them? Are those rules because it's for their good? Do they always know that? <laughs> Heck no. What do you believe about God? Is the command to forgive because he's a good God and he knows what's best for you? What do you believe about God? We believe, what we believe here, and we get, we're trying to believe here, if we're honest, is that God is a good God, and his commands are for my joy, 
So forgiveness is not a burden I must bear, but something to step into for my own joy. Now again, that's here. I'm trying to get it here. Anyone with me there? So how do we begin to work through forgiveness? Especially for big issues. Like small things, forgiveness can be a really short, like, let's step into this. And I'll give you some practical things this week and next for that. But forgiveness, oftentimes when with big things, it's a, it's a process. So I usually, I'm not like a, a, an alliteration guy that has three points that start with P, but I'm going to do some alliteration today. I'm actually kind of excited about it. Okay, so here, if you're taking notes, here, here are the three things we're going to talk. Here's what it means to begin to engage forgiveness. You ready? You got to face it. And, and I'll work through these. You got you to face the reality of a broken relationship and decide I'm going to engage this. You got to face it. You got to feel it. Okay, you've got to feel the emotion of this. You got to feel the weight of this. Okay, now the third. Now here's my dilemma. Because I have a word that, feel it, face it, that starts with an F. Not, not that, that's not a bad. All right. I've got a word that starts with an F that I can use, but it doesn't, it doesn't. So here's the word. We're going to release it. Now, I could say free it, and that would do the feel, face, free. It just, I just don't like it. So it's release it. Okay? Feel it. I'm sorry. Face it. Feel it. And release it. Let's work through these. It's kind of give us a framework to think through how do we pursue forgiveness. Face it. Um, I think one of our biggest mistakes in relationship with people is opposed to facing conflict or facing a break in, in relationship or something that happened, most of us tend to distance ourselves, don't we? Or you may be the person that just pulls a grenade, drops it, says something real hurtful, and then runs. Either way, that's not truly facing it. That in order to engage forgiveness, I must face the break in relationship. Um, I, I think if we would get these words of Jesus in our hearts, where he tells his followers, settle matters quickly with your adversary. Especially on small things. I think our big, one of our biggest mistakes relationally is something small happens with a coworker, and it angers you, but you don't face it, and you just kind of, eh, whatever. But then what happens after that interaction, now you have a negative mindset against that person. And it's just like putting glasses that have a blue lens on, and everything you see now is blue. And so you see that person later in the day, and they make a face at you, and you're like, uh-huh, there it is. Anyone with me? And then later on in the day, they say something mean, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're such a jerk. And you distance yourself. You don't engage it. And now that becomes your mindset for that person. Fast forward two weeks. You hate them and they don't even know it. Anyone been there? So I got permission to tell this story. Um, so back in July when we were during COVID, we were locked down. We weren't gathering uh, here. Um, we were filming sermons on a, on a Tuesday. And then they would be released on a Sunday. Okay, so... Uh, so this particular week, uh, Brad was up to film because he was going to film on Tuesday and then his sermon is going to release Sunday. I was up for the next week, for two weeks. 
Well, Molly sent us an email. Molly's our, our person that oversees all our filming and media and all that sort of thing. And she said, hey, I'm on vacation. So remember, Brad's up this week. I'm up the next. She goes, I'm on vacation this week. Do you mind if we film both sermons this coming Tuesday? Okay? Well, I'm not, I don't feel ready yet. There's more I want to think through. There's more I want to say. And so I, I go to Molly and I say, and I say this. I say, Molly, um, how long does it take you to edit a sermon? And she's like, oh, you know, like an hour and a half. And I'm like, okay. So, like, if we recorded next week, because Sam does the video stuff for us, if we record next week while you're gone, don't you think, like, you could just do that on your vacation? Real subtle. But what am I saying? You need to do this on your vacation. That's what I'm saying to her. And she's like, oh, yeah, I guess I can. I'm like, okay. And so I leave the conversation and think nothing else about it. It's gone for me. And I just We had this conversation, moved on. Well, not knowing, the whole time she is angry at me. And so she comes to me a couple hours later and says, hey, uh, can we have a conversation? I'm like, yeah. She goes, uh, hey, I know myself and that I'm a nine on the Enneagram and I want to please um, but you really angered me because it's very unfair for you to ask me to work on my vacation just because you don't want to work hard enough right now to be ready for Tuesday. Then I, to which I said, Molly, you're right. That was wrong. She goes, I forgive you. I'm like, I, me too. Move on. If she wouldn't have communicated that, she would have stewed on that all of vacation, wouldn't she? And she would have done the work on vacation, editing my sermon, and the whole time looking at my face, hating me, <laughs> murdering me in her mind, maybe in person, murdering me, and I would have had no clue. Especially on small things, if we can learn to face things quickly. And we'll talk about next week how to have that conversation because she could have said, amen, well, you're the jerk, hood. And I probably wouldn't have responded as well. Now, was that true? Sure, it's true. But I wouldn't respond. We'll talk about that next week. We must be quick to face it. So many of our strained relationships come because of distance. Okay, let's talk about bigger hurts, though. I mean, you're betrayed by a friend. It may not be wise to face it with them right in that instant. So facing forgiveness means we must tell the truth. And this is where, like, the forgive and forget, like, detached forgiveness doesn't work. Because to actually release a debt, you must know the reality of the debt you're releasing. You must tell the truth of, I was wronged. I felt wronged. And naming what happened, naming the ripples of that effect, and then how it affected you somewhere else. It's what I felt. It's what I've lost. Forgiveness requires telling the truth. God tells the truth about forgiving you. Um, Ephesians 2, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And you were following the, 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 the spirit of the air. You were following Satan. And you were by nature children of wrath. Is all that true? Yes. 
but God. Forgiveness requires truth. It's not denial. It's not, oh, it's okay. One of the worst things we can do with someone when, when they say, hey, will you forgive me? I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. It hurt. So forgiveness is say, yes, that hurt, but I will not hold that over you. We must tell the truth. I was talking to an old pastor, um, and he's kind of from the country, and so he uses country examples uh, a lot. And so he was talking to me about the reality of ministry, or the reality of leadership in general, is you're going to frustrate people, anger people, hurt people, and the people are going to talk about you. It's just reality of leading an organization. That hurts. And so one time he had a church member that had, been, that had just kind of been talking and critical and gossiping about him for, for a long time. And finally this church member kind of realized their mistake and came to this pastor and said, listen, I need to ask forgiveness because I have I've talked about you, I've gossiped about you. Will you forgive me? And so this, this pastor was telling me the story. And so the pastor looked at the person and he says, yes, I will forgive you. I, I will cancel that debt and I'm not going to wrong you anymore. But let me tell you a story just so you know the reality of what I'm feeling. Here's what the pastor said to this person. He said, um, and this has a little bit of a country flair to it, but he said, I want you to take a chicken. I'm going to assume the chicken's dead. It would be better for the chicken if it's already dead. But I want you to take a chicken. I want you to climb the highest tower that you know. I want you to go to our property and climb the water tower. Please don't. We might get sued. Don't do that. Hey, Climb the water tower and pluck that chicken and let go of the feathers and watch them scatter in the wind and then climb back down that tower and go try to find every feather. He said, you can't do it. And so this is what the pastor said to the person. Listen, I forgive you, but know the pain is real and that your words against me are like feathers that are out there. And even though your heart is there, you have no way to clean them all up. And I release you. That's the truth. It's not, oh, it's okay. No, it's like, no, this hurt. But I release you. Forgiveness requires truth. E even people in the past few months, I, I have these conversations all the time of people that I've hurt. Someone who said to me, I felt dropped by you. I felt missed by you. I felt, a volunteer was talking to me. He's like, I felt under, underappreciated by you. I'm like, yeah, oh, man, I see that. I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, we've got to face the reality of this hurt me. Okay? Before I can begin to cancel a debt, I must count the reality of that debt. I must consider what I am letting go of. I must face it. I must face the hurt. Now, almost never is a breakdown relationship all someone's fault. Almost never. And so part of facing it and telling the truth, this is important, make sure you hear this. It's telling the truth of what I bring to this too. If we think forgiveness is, all right, you're a jerk and you hurt me and this and this and this, we have, no, no, no. Part of the forgiveness process, again, we'll get to this next week, is here's what I brought the, the truth of what we bring into relationship that causes it to break down. Uh, James chapter 4, verse 1, he, he says this, What causes quarrels and fights among you? 
well, them, of course, because they're a jerk. No. Is it not this, that your own passions are at war within you? That you desire and you do not have and so you murder? You covet and you cannot obtain and so you fight and you quarrel? Like part of engaging the truth, facing forgiveness is to say, surely I'm not the only one that James is, like surely I'm not exempt from James's words. Surely I have desires that turn to demands. And maybe the hurt that I have over this person is partially because I had an unfair desire that became a demand. So facing the reality of forgiveness is facing the fact that I bring something to this also. Maybe the day that this hurt happened, maybe I was just on edge and I was just ready for something. Maybe I misunderstood you. Uh, Maybe I don't know everything happening behind the situation. This is huge. Maybe I assumed your heart motivation and not just looked at your actions. You know that you're not allowed to do that? You're not allowed to look at someone and assume their heart motivation. You don't know their heart. Guys, we can barely discern our own heart. Fair? So it's saying, here is what I brought to it also. We must face the truth, even the broken parts of us. Okay, we've got to face it. Here's the second part. We have to feel it. Forgiveness, and again, I'm ta- here I think I'm, I'm talking more on these bigger issues. Um, that part of canceling a debt is feeling the emotions of that debt. Uh, grief and anger, sadness and anger, th- those are primarily the two emotions that need to be processed, need to be felt in order to truly engage forgiveness. I, I love the prayer that we read up here. Was that not beautiful? Please put that on like Instagram or somewhere we can read it again. That prayer had so much beauty to it because it was saying that Jesus felt the emotion of strained relationships. Jesus saw Lazarus' death. Jesus saw Israel's, um, uh, their betrayal of him. Jesus wept. He cried. And surely if Jesus, if his tears were good, surely mine are too. And that part of processing forgiveness is feeling it and weeping. Sadness and healthy anger. Anger that says, that was wrong. Jesus got angry, didn't he? Jesus got angry when he saw self-righteous Pharisees condemning people they thought were, quote, sinners. Jesus got angry when he saw money changers exploiting poor people, and he flipped over tables. There is a righteous anger that says that was wrong. And to truly engage the process of forgiveness, you must feel that anger. You must feel that sadness. Okay? Because unprocessed sadness will turn you to bitterness. And woe is me. And that person is evil. And unprocessed anger will turn to rage. That part of the process of forgiveness is feeling anger and sadness together to process the debt that is owed you. 
Okay, so sorrow and anger can coexist with joy. Jesus had joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And Jesus knew sorrow and anger. Sorrow and anger can, can coexist with joy. But rage and bitterness cannot coexist with joy. And unprocessed, you will go from sorrow and anger to rage and bitterness. Part of the forgiveness process is processing it, is feeling it. And, And here's what I'll tell you. Especially big things, you need to do that with other people. You need to process with someone else. It's fine to sit and kind of by yourself and think through, but there comes a point where you also have to process with someone else. Now, i got to talk about this. Um, processing with someone means that you are feeling anger and sadness, that they're joining in you with that for the purpose of forgiveness. But processing to vent and rant about someone that hurt you, to get someone on your team and tell them to agree how big of a jerk that person is, that's called gossip. Y'all with me? And we've got to understand the difference between, oh, I'm processing, because here is not processing. Oh, my gosh, this person did this and this, and you're talking to someone, yeah, they're awful. And you go over here, can you believe what this person did? Oh, yeah, you're so, that's not processing. That's gossip. That's sowing dissent. Processing is to sit in relationship with someone and bring them into what happened and to feel that with them and then to feel it with you for the purpose of engaging forgiveness. So part of the feeling process, the feeling of forgiveness, means I'm feeling what they did to me, but I'm also feeling on their behalf. It's beginning to view someone not as someone who has only hurt me, but someone who in fact has been hurt themselves. It's seeing the person that has hurt you as a real person with real stories and real hurts and real struggles and praying that God will give you eyes to see their wounds as well not just their actions against you. There's a book uh, by an author named Robert Bly. It's called Iron John. It's a book about his dad who hurt him very deeply and his process of forgiving his dad and how how he processed this anger and sadness and how it led to compassion for his dad. Here's what he says. He says, I begin to think of him, my dad, not of someone who had deprived me of love and attention and companionship, but as someone who himself had been deprived by his father and by his mother and by the culture. Do you hear that? I begin to think of him not as someone who deprived me of love and attention and companionship. Are those things true? Yes. But I also begin to think of him as someone who himself had been deprived by his father and his mother and culture. See, forgiveness, part of the process of feeling it, is to feel on their behalf. It's called perspective. 
And perspective is an important part of the forgiveness process. So if you watch, if you like movies, um, when, you, when you film movies, you have like different types of shots. You have like really close zoomed in shots, you have medium shots, and you have wide shots. Okay, oftentimes our unforgiveness and our hurt, it's like a zoom lens, and all we can see is that hurt. Part of the feeling, the processing of forgiveness is to zoom out and begin to see the whole picture at play. What did I bring? What did this person bring? And what's their story? So part of the feeling of forgiveness, it brings compassion for one another. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. What if that person that's hurt you so bad, what if through processing, through feeling, you can begin to have a tender heart for what they have been through also. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a pastor um, in Germany during the, during the Nazi Germany reign, was put in prison, died for his faith. Uh, he wrote while sitting in a, in a Nazi prison. He said, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or do not do, but more in light of what they suffer. Let me say that again. He's watching his Nazi captors do all that they are doing to people. He's watching that, and here's what he said. We must learn to regard these people not in light of what they do or don't do, but in light of what they are suffering. What he's saying is that his captors that were doing this evil are people who have suffered deeply. Does that excuse what they did? No. But it's Part of the equation. Because how many of us want to be defined by our worst moment? When we hold unforgiveness for someone, oftentimes what we're doing is defining them and their character by one of their worst moments. Who wants that for themselves? Can you think of like your top 10 worst moments you do over? Anyone have a few that you might do over if you had a chance? This is a, seriously, no one? This is a holy crowd. We, come on, come on. You guys should be preaching this sermon, I'm telling you. Do we have some worst moments, some bad moments? We like to take those back. Do you want to be defined by those moments? Of course not. Can we not do that to others? So feeling, we got to face it. We've got to tell the truth. We've got to address it. We've got to feel it. Anger and sadness on our own behalf and on behalf of them. And here's the third one. We have to release it or free it. We have to let go. There comes a point when we make a decision that I will no longer hold this over you. I will release it. And let me tell you that true forgiveness is a process, especially for deep hurt. That releasing may have to be every day the rest of your life. Again, when people tell me, especially a big hurt, well, I've forgiven them. Are you sure? Because there seems to be a lot of bitterness still in there. That that facing and feeling and releasing may have to be almost daily the rest of your life. 
So forgiveness is a process. You, have, you really have two choices. You can either enter that process of facing, feeling, releasing, and begin to see that pain transform you and begin to see that pain transform how you view other people and begin to have compassion on people, even people that have hurt you. That's one option, or you can get bitter, and you can hate, and you can judge, and you can live in captivity. So instead of asking you, who have you forgiven, here's what I would love to ask you. Who are you forgiving? Who are you maybe daily letting go, feeling that, counting the cost, letting go daily? Forgiveness. True forgiveness for deep hurts. If we're honest, it may feel like death. To truly forgive someone that has hurt you deeply, you will feel the sting of that. You will feel the reality of what you're releasing. It will feel like death. But it's a feeling of death and hope that life will come. It's what Jesus did. Jesus felt the sting of death but for the joy set before him endured it because he knew life was coming. Author Neil Anderson, who wrote a book on forgiveness, says this. This is so good. He says, don't wait to forgive until you feel like forgiving. Let me say it again. Don't wait to forgive until you feel like forgiving. You will never get there. Feelings take time to heal after the choice to forgive is made. This is so good. I'm going to say the whole thing again. Don't wait to forgive until you feel like forgiving. So I can't wait to release a debt until I feel like releasing a debt. He says if you do that, you will never release it. Feelings take time to heal after the choice to forgive is made to release. So releasing a debt is saying this, that I now refuse to use your past harm of me to hold over you to justify my future harm of you. Which means I must confront my desire for power. Because holding unforgiveness, doesn't it feel powerful? Come on, doesn't it feel powerful? Doesn't it just give us some sense of entitlement? Gives us something we control, makes me feel important? Releasing it. can't love without forgiving. Jesus said, or, or Paul said this, love does not keep a record of wrongs. Now, we'll get to this next week. Releasing a debt may also require boundaries. Let's not confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. Some people in some relationships, to release that debt may mean that there is a distance for protection. But it's after that debt's been released. So you may, forgiveness may mean uh, we are not going to go to lunch every week. But forgiveness means that I will not hit you back because of how you hit me. So Hill City, what are you releasing? What, what debts need to be released 
Where do you need to set someone free and then realize it's not them, it's you? Because unforgiveness is a prison. And the prisoner is not the other person, it is you. Oftentimes the person has no idea that you hate them, that you're angry at them. The prisoner is us. Anne Lamont says this, uh, unforgiveness is like drinking rat poison and then waiting for the rat to die. It's so true. Bitterness is a prison because when we refuse to offer forgiveness, here's what we do. We bind our hearts to that person. We are bound to them now. And they show up. They show up in our mind. They show up in our, in our best moments and our most vulnerable and our most intimate moments. They show up in our dreams. Forgiveness, unforgiveness is a prison and it will bind us. So when we think releasing, yes, we are releasing someone of a debt. But who are we ultimately releasing? Ourselves. Of the bitterness and the rage. We are stepping into the new humanity of what it means to be humans in God's image created for deep relationships. Dr. King said this, let no man pull you so low that you hate him. Let no one pull you so low that you hate him because when we hate people, it's robbing ourselves of what it means to be human. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 5, you've heard it said that you shall not commit, a, commit murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But here's what Jesus says, but I say to you, Everyone who is angry with his brother, that bitterness, they'll be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says, you fool, is liable to the hell of fire. Here's what Jesus says. When we hold bitterness and anger and unforgiveness for someone, we dehumanize not them, ourselves. Ourselves. We become murderers. When we hold unforgiveness, we allow the person to occupy more of our thoughts than God does. And even as I've talked today, I know, because there are people going through your mind. Yep, that person, that person, that person. And even as we talked, they've occupied more of your mind than Jesus has. That's what, that's what unforgiveness is does to us. But it's complicated. Especially talking about having a conversation. That's where we'll go next week. What's it look like to have a conversation? Now I'll say this. Not all forgiveness, offering forgiveness means you have a conversation. Doesn't always have to. As a matter of fact, some people you need to forgive are dead. They're gone. And you can't have a conversation. Doesn't always mean a conversation, but next week we'll talk about how. We'll close like this, forgiveness, true forgiveness, it's about communion. Communion with one another, that I will not hold over you a debt to justify any harm that I would do you. It's restoring relationship with one another, and communion is about restored relationship with God. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Last verse, and then we'll receive communion. Psalm 130. 
If you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, if you, O Lord, would mark my iniquities, if you kept a record, who could stand? But with you, Lord, there is forgiveness, therefore you are feared. Therefore there is a restored relationship there. If you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? Could anyone stand here if God kept a record of wrongs? No. All right, Hill Street Church, you ready? If we keep a wrong record of wrongs for our brother, who could ever stand? I can't stand up here. If you're going to keep a record of wrongs against me, I can, I'm done. Because <laughs> I'll hurt you. If I keep a record against you, none of you can stand. You're going to hurt me. If you, O Lord, kept a record of wrongs, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Hill City Church, what if we became a people that refused to keep a record of wrongs? And our heart is for restoration and wholeness and all that Jesus wants to do in these relationships. As you receive communion today, our people come on down, they're going to serve communion. As you receive communion today, it's restored relationship with God. As you come forward, it's you receiving, once again, forgiveness from God. And as you dip that, get the, the bread that's dipped in the, in the cup, and, and you look around, there's other people receiving communion with you. It's a picture that we must be doing the same. As God has done to us, so now will we do for one another. We will not hold a record of wrongs, because who could stand? Let's pray together.